From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. At the end of every athletic year, we like to take a full survey of the program, not only to look at what transpired during the course of the season, but also to learn what's in the works when it comes to scheduling, facilities, and more. The best way to do that is by going straight to the top and hearing from Scott Strickland. On this special edition, we talked to Florida's athletic director about memorable moments from the season, future football scheduling, the latest news on all the facility projects, improvements to the fan experience in the swamp, Garth and Gainesville, how the UAA is adjusting to rising costs across the board, the transfer portal, the challenges of managing social media storms, and pop culture picks for the summer. So to get the ball rolling, we asked Scott to share the highlights of the last 10 months that gave him and the program the most pride. You always tend to start with uh, your, your championships and for the 11th straight year, the Gators had the, had a team win at least in that one national championship. And this year it was our uh, men's indoor track and field and, uh, which is which really special. It's the ninth time that, that, uh, Mouse Holloway has led it, a Gator team to a national championship. But, uh, to be able to do that each of the last 11 years, um, is pretty rare. In fact, there's only two schools in the country. Florida is one of them that has done that each of the last 11 years. And, and in those 11 years, Gators have 20 national titles. So wow. um, you start with that. We had, you know, five teams win conference championships. Uh, you know, one of those was men's tennis, which uh, won the SEC for the first time in 14 years and, and also got to the uh, to the national semifinals, to the final four, if you will, um, uh, down in Orlando. And with a really young team, a lot of a lot of guys coming back off that team next year, they're poised to, to be a power for many years ahead. And and then you you know obviously you you look at what football did in Coach Mullen's first year and the excitement that brought to the Gator Nation and um, you know the the swamp started kind of having some of that old magic come back and you know not only to win ten games win a New Year's Six bowl game to to close out the year on a win streak to be able to to go to Florida State and win convincingly and then play Michigan in in the Peach Bowl and and win that game convincingly you know just kind of gave everybody. Uh, a lot of momentum uh, heading into the offseason, and, and I think we're going to still carry that into into this fall. You know, I know that one of the things that this program has always prided itself on is being so competitive across so many sports and being a complete program, not just about one team. But can you speak to the impact it has on the brand, on the business, and all of that when football is back at the level that they were at this season, what that means for the program overall? Well, you're right. We have 21 sports and we want to be great in all 21 of them. You know, we talk about as a, as a department that we want to create a championship experience with integrity for all of our student athletes and, and Gator Nation. And when we say that, we're talking about all 21 sports. But there's no question that football has a, an outsized impact on our athletic program, on the university and on our fan base at large. It's just the culture that we live in really values football in general and college football specifically. And we've seen in the past the, the benefit of having a highly competitive, nationally relevant football program has on your university. And 
Um, so it's, it's really important. Um, you know, football is a sport when it's going well, it impacts all the other sports in a really positive way. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of, so many of other sports plan their recruiting, uh, visits around football games. And when football is doing well and the stadium's packed and crowds are going crazy, it makes a huge difference for, uh, impact on all of our sports. And so it's, it's hard to, it's hard to put into words exactly what that is, but it is, it is significant. And it's, uh, it's one of the, one of the reasons we invest as much as we do in that sport and we'll continue to, to do so. One of the things that, that you're charged with is trying to find ways to evolve the program and, and keep building and growing and reacting to, to trends that are out there. And one of those trends is higher profile regular season games. And I know it's something that fans have been asking you about for a long time. And now we're starting to see that come to fruition, albeit a few years down the road. But the announcement of the future home and home with Colorado and, of course, with Texas. Can you just talk about the considerations that go into making decisions like that, both from a competitive standpoint, an economic standpoint, the city of Gainesville? I know that there's a, a huge, huge picture you have to look at. Well, you know, I, I think traditionally the thought has been, you know, you, when you play an eight-game SEC schedule and then you have an annual non-conference game with a team like Florida State that, you know, traditionally is is pretty strong, you you already have built in one of the toughest schedules in the country. And candidly, you know, there was a lot. There were a lot of schools that that used those other three games in a way that that didn't stress your team from, from a competitive standpoint. And, and you try to find non-conference opponents that, that you thought were you know, allow people to come in and, and see, you know, see your team do well. And I think what has happened over time is that fans have come to really appreciate and enjoy those high profile SEC games um, and or the or the Florida State game when it's here in Gainesville. Um, but whenever they see one of those other teams on the schedule, the perception of your home schedule is weakened when they see those other games. And. That's nothing against those teams. It's just, uh, you know, there's, you know, fans just really enjoy those other games to a such higher degree. And so, really, the uh, the thought in trying to begin scheduling um, an additional Power Five opponent is to try to bring value to our fan base and our season ticket holders, and you know, giving them another really high profile non conference game in the years where Florida State's not in the swamp. And by agreeing to home and homes, you know, trying to find places that we think our fans would want to travel. You know, Colorado is a fun place to go. And, and obviously, Texas is going to be, you know, a lot of fun from from the significance of what those you know two traditional powers playing each other will mean. So uh, we're continuing to look for opportunities to, to schedule those kind of games. And while we you know, we've got 28, 29 with Colorado, 30 and 31 with Texas, you know, that you're right. That is a ways off. It was just the earliest we could get those games in schedule. We're working diligently to try to find some uh, of those kind of matchups uh, in earlier years to uh, try to make the same impact for our fans so that they, you know, they know that not only they're going to get great SEC matchups, but that we're going to continue to add value to the season ticket package by providing really good non-conference matchups as well. Mm -hmm. Part of that conversation, and this seems to come up every few years, if not every year, is Florida, Georgia, and what the future of that game is, specifically in Jacksonville. And that was stirred up recently. Kirby Smart made some comments suggesting it could move from Jacksonville in the near future. And then it really got all that social discussion going again. Uh, from the Gator perspective and, and from the chair that you sit in, can you talk about the future of the game in Jacksonville and what considerations go into that? Um, well, the city of Jacksonville has been very good to, to the Florida Georgia robbery, and it is uh, you know it's really 
synonymous with that game. And uh, both schools have um, a lot of equity and a lot of investment in, in playing the game there. And I, I think if you ask both schools, that would be our preference is to continue to play the game there. But we, you know, we have a contract, I think, that goes for another three or four years. And every time that, that contract is up, you know, we, I think we look to make sure that it continues to, to be what we want to do. Um, you know, college football is changing under our feet constantly. And we, you know, we want to make sure that we're being thoughtful about looking at everything we do and making decisions that are going to continue to be in the best interest. Um, my preference is we continue to play the game in Jacksonville and I'm hopeful that, uh, it'll continue to be beneficial and I have no reason to think it won't be. In terms of that constantly shifting landscape that you describe, it does seem like that's happening more now than maybe in any time in the past. What factors do you think drive that? Is it television? Is it new media? Is it the fan experience? Why is college football and the consumption of it changing so much seemingly right now? It seems like it's societal. College football is probably being impacted much the same way network TV is being impacted and just people's consumption patterns in general are changing. And, you know, a lot of it is the, you know, fragmentation of uh, how people spend their entertainment time and dollars. Uh, there's a lot more options now. Mm -hmm. And you think about used to 20 years ago, everybody watched what was on network TV, mm -hmm. maybe 30 years ago. And then 20 years ago it was network or cable TV. And today it's whatever you want to stream, right? And, <laughs> and, and the sky's the limit and the options are, are seemingly unending. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and not just for regular TV or movies, uh, for sports as well. You know, the, the amount of games you have access to, you know, whether streaming or whether it's satellite or cable or whatever is multiplied so much more than what it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so I think people with access to, to so many different options, we don't quite have as captive an audience as we once did. And that's not just in the world of college football. That's in any venture engaging with the public. And so you've got to work really hard to, to make sure that um, the public continues to see value in coming to your sporting event. In the case of college football, college basketball, anything else, uh, we have to continue to provide value. And um, it's got to be about more than just watching a game because they can watch a game from the comfort of their own home. We have to create an experience that makes them want to come out because that's the, the only place they can get that experience is on our campus. And that experience, part of it is watching a game, but part of it is seeing old friends or tailgating or doing gator chomp with 90,000 other people mm -hmm. um, or singing We Are the Boys or I Won't Back Down, whatever it is, seeing the band, um, reliving old memories. There's, there's so many parts of that experience that we have to make sure we're communicating to the fans and we're continuing to to enhance so that so that when they do come to the campus, it's something they go, wow, I get to do that six or seven times a year. I can't wait to go back. I don't care who the opponent is. I don't care what time the game is. And we do know all those other things I just mentioned matter. Mm -hmm. But we want to create a, a mindset. Uh, we want to create an experience that develops uh, that kind of passion where, where fans want to come because they're excited about going to see the Gators play in the Swamp. And on that facilities front, I'm going to talk about some of those and starting with what you were just discussing, coming to the swamp and improving the fan experience. I know each year it seems like there's some new wrinkle to that to try and make that experience more of what fans are connected to in 2019, soon to be 2020. What are some of the things that fans should expect in the fall when they come out to the swamp that are maybe different than in the past? You know, the the last uh, year, two years, we've, we've started putting an emphasis on uh, – 
what we call the Gator Walk Village, that north lawn of the stadium that borders University Avenue um, on the north end. And can, we're continuing to enhance that. You know, we, we in the spring game is the orange and blue game is always kind of a time when we can we can try new things. And we had a band out there. We've kind of expanded our, our gator garden, kind of a beer garden out there. And then we have, you know, the tailgate tents that have been there now for a couple of years and that continues to grow. And uh, the gator walk comes right through there. The team comes walking through there two hours before game time. And uh, it's kind of, you know, it, it started to create a little vibe and, and we're going to continue to do some things that enhance that area. And then inside the stadium, uh, last year, we started a food patio on the West Concourse, kind of the part that extends out toward Gail Limran Drive. It's kind of some space that, that wasn't really being activated on game day. And, and we were trying to create some more food options at different price points for fans to come. And, and uh, if they wanted something other than just general concession fare, they, they had the opportunity to, to engage in that. And, and uh, it's so interesting. I, you know, I walked into uh, the spring game, I was walking around the stadium in, in April and, you know, we had people doing face painting and, and balloon animals for kids. And uh, we had the food patio and it was, you know, that's, it's something for everyone kind of kind of thing. We'll continue to to enhance and, and look for ways to, to create more and more of that. The other thing that's uh, going to be completely new this year, although we were able to roll it out in, in pieces last year, is uh, our high-density Wi-Fi system will be fully deployed this fall. And, and uh, fans, when they come to the game, you know they can stay connected throughout and be able to, to keep up with uh, their social media and, and their family and friends, and they want to watch another another game on their phone while they're sitting in the stands watching the Gators. They can do that. It's, it's a big time system, and, and it's one that I think is going to pay a lot of uh, uh, benefits to our our fans. So this year, you had the opening of this revitalized, pretty much seemingly brand new KDC Shore Presley Stadium, and rave reviews from everybody who had a chance to go to the games, to participate in the games. How pleased are you and your team with how that project turned out and the impact on the softball program? You know, everyone seems to be really positive. I, I'm judging that based on the reaction I've gotten from fans at softball games or fans who have been to softball games this year and, and experienced it firsthand. It's, you know, it's so much more open. It's so much more fan friendly. It's, uh, it's you know, obviously can provide more seating. We had a, a record crowd for Super Regional game against Tennessee. Mm-hmm. About 3,000 people showed up for that. You know, to me, it's everything it needs, it needs to be. It's, it's really nice, presents really well. It's super functional for the fans. If you want to sit in your nice, comfortable chair back seats, you can. If you want to get up and walk around, uh, you still have a view from the field from a 360-degree concourse. You know, the, the new team areas are off the charts and, and are, you know, going to really uh, benefit our, our young ladies for years to come. So, to me, that's uh, – we're, we're ecstatic about the way the, the C- uh, Katie Seashell Presley Stadium turned out. And it's exciting because you look across the street from there today and you see steel coming out of the ground where – the new Florida ballpark is going to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of the same things that our fans are, are currently enjoying at softball, they're going to be able to enjoy the new baseball park when it gets finished and, and our team starts playing there. And again, you're going to have, uh, you know, one of the things I didn't mention about softball that we're, all, that we're going to also have a baseball is uh, a lot more shade structure. And so it's a lot more comfortable to sit out mm-hmm. there in a, on a spring afternoon and watch the Gators because you're not going to be in the blazing sun and, <laughs> and baseball is going to have a lot of that as well. And, just think it's going to totally change the the vibe around coming to a Gator baseball game, just like uh, 
the, the vibe at softball was already pretty good, but I think it took it to another level with the new facility. I was going to ask you about baseball, so you covered that. And the one that I know you get questions about all the time is football. So this was a uh, a three-phase plan. It started with softball, then baseball, then football. Can you tell us about that last piece and, and the latest updates on that? Well, we're still on track to uh, break ground on our football training facility uh, next summer. Uh, when when the, the new ballpark is finished in the summer, the baseball team will be moved out there. We'll take the existing baseball location where McKeithen Stadium is, and, and we'll tear it down and begin working on the football training center, which is going to be phenomenal. I mean, it's I, I don't know if there's going to be anything else in the country quite like it. And uh, the the announced figure is $65 million. It's it's going to be well above that. We're going to have to go get approval for a new price because it's um, we're just going to make sure it's it's going to be the best of its kind. It's going to be about 130,000 square feet wow. of, of space for our football team. And, you know, it's going to have, you know, it's going to connect there to the to the indoor, this current indoor facility and the, and the current practice field. And, you know, Coach Mullen has a stat that currently on a, on a typical year, our team will walk 40 miles from their <laughs> locker room to the practice field and back over the course of the football season. Um, you know, once this new facility is done, they're going to, uh, you know, maybe maybe a third of a mile over the course of the whole year because they're going to walk 10 feet outside the locker room and be on the practice field. So it's going to be so much more efficient for our team. But then just the quality of what we're looking at doing uh, from a locker room standpoint, uh, tr- uh, weight room standpoint, um, the, the dining facility for all of our student athletes is going to be uh, unprecedented. And, and then our, our uh, student athlete village, we call it, where we kind of have a rec space for our student athletes that, that's going to be first class as well and allow us to not only allow our current student athletes to enjoy that, but on recruiting weekends, allow visitors to, to do so as well. Um, it's going to be well thought out. Coach Mullen and his staff have had a lot of input um, we've, we've kind of studied all the schools that have kind of gone out ahead of us and done those kind of facilities. We've studied what they've done and this one's going to be as nice as any, if not nicer. And it's going to really fit, uh, what the Gators need. And it's going to be something that, uh, will positively impact our football program for generations ahead. And as I mentioned, we'll break ground next summer. It'll probably take about, uh, 18 months to complete. We come back from, uh, from our bowl game after the 21 season, we'll be uh, ready to move into it. You know, something else I think is interesting is finding ways to take what you have and finding new uses for it. And a good example of that is when Garth Brooks took over the Swamp a couple months ago. Uh, and I know that people loved that experience and wanted to know whether they're going to be more like that. So can you talk about from a, an operations side, a business side, how successful that was and if it did in fact pave the way for more events like that in the future? Well, it was a great event. We had, you know, about 77,000 fans uh, filling the swamp. It was a perfect night. Garth and his team uh, were so easy to work with. And it was that was a unique deal uh, in that I don't know how many artists can come in and put 77,000 people in the stands sure. the way Garth can. Um, however, we are completely open to finding future opportunities like that. Um, I don't know, as I said, I don't know how many of those there are, and I don't know that we'll do it every year, but we'll certainly look for, for opportunities when they present themselves for us to do that. And, and I think that's it's a great example of taking an iconic facility like the Swamp and, and maximizing the usefulness of it. And because there's not many places, obviously, in the state of Florida, you could host something like that. And, uh, and it was, everything worked out really well. Our staff worked really hard on it. And uh, like I said, Garth and his team were, were a joy to work with. And 
uh, we're glad to do that. It was, it was like another football game day in the city of Gainesville sure. from, uh, you know, number of visitors and, and, and the way the campus kind of came alive. And in a lot of ways, the UAA exists to engage people with the University of Florida, get them on this campus uh, to visit and to see what a wonderful place this is. And that's a perfect example, even though it had nothing to do with athletics, a perfect example of bringing people in that may not otherwise have ever uh, set foot on, on our campus. And you almost stole the thought right out of my head there, but I was thinking when you were talking about that, the idea that it almost is like creating an additional football game day. And as it relates to the city of Gainesville and the expectations they have for X number of days that are going to drive tons of traffic, does the ability to do an event like that maybe open up doing more big football games that are away from the swamp? Am I reaching too much or is there maybe something there in terms of tying the, the two together? Yeah, I don't know if those exactly tie together. Uh, candidly, in the back of my mind, you know, we had uh, we had some weather with hurricanes the last couple of years that have taken away some playing opportunities in our city. Mm-hmm. I, in some ways, this kind of seemed like a good way to give back and, and help make up some of the, those missed opportunities we've had due to weather. Uh, and knock on wood, we won't have any of those anytime soon in the future. But I just think anytime we can get people into this town uh, to come to Gainesville, to come to university, um, they get to see what a beautiful place it is. Uh, and if while they're here, they get to, you know, maybe they develop an affinity for the Gators. Maybe they find out uh, how the University of Florida is a top 10 public university and, and a leader in so many areas academically and, and across our nation. That's a win-win, right? And everybody benefits. Mm-hmm. And, you know, anytime we have an opportunity to do that, whether it's a huge concert in the stadium, whether it's a, a, a camp that one of our many teams hosts throughout the summer where we get a lot of visitors through this town for, uh, whether it's one of our regular sporting events, um, we're, we're always looking to, to make sure we're putting our best foot forward and, and giving people a chance to figure out how special this place is. I'm going to put you on the spot. You're the promoter, right? You can bring anybody to the swamp that you want to perform. Who's the first call that, that you're going to make if you're in that uh, position? You know what? Uh, I I have teenage daughters, and they are, they are pushing for Taylor Swift. I to knew come you were going to gonna say that. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know that. I, I mean, I'm sure I would attend. I'm not sure that that's the top of my list. I was actually, um, you know, I was uh, listening to XM Radio the other day, and of course, I have Tom Petty channel on there because I'm mm. I love Tom Petty, and uh, you know, every now and then they'll play one of the performances from his last concert in the O'Connell Center, which I think occurred in 2006. And uh, and it says on the little the little readout on your on your satellite radio dial it says Gainesville and the date. And uh, I thought, boy, what how cool would that have been if we could have had a stadium concert up and going and he was still around yeah. to be able to have have uh, Tom Petty play in the swamp. Uh, but there's a you know, I love you, too. I'd mm-hmm. love to see you two come play the swamp. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of acts out there. And like I said, if we find the right opportunity, we'd love to try to get one of those lined up again in the future. I know Taylor Swift on either her last tour or the one before that played Tiger Stadium in Baton Rouge. So she's open to SEC stadiums. That's the good news. Yeah, well, exactly. She has experience <laughs> there. She hasn't, she hasn't ruled it out. Um, it was recently announced that the, uh, the UAA budget saw a nearly 4% increase for this upcoming year. And breaking that down into what people can understand – What's the tangible benefit of that to the program and obviously the, the student athletes? Uh, to be honest with you, um, that's that's a pretty slight increase uh, when you consider it's a 140 million dollar budget, and a lot of that, candidly, is uh, you know what what your our home budget might call a cost of living increase. It's hmm. you know travel costs more to get our student athletes around, and 
salary, you know, you, you're able to take care of people from a salary standpoint, give, give your staff a raise, you know, a cost of living raise. So in a lot of ways, it's, uh, it allows us to continue to provide the championship experience that with integrity that, that we've been doing in the past. And it's college athletics is in a, a really interesting time from a financial standpoint. And I, I know it looks like there's a lot of money being spent and, and I think people are having to get more and more creative with how they continually invest in their program. But the fact of the matter is, um, we had a seven or eight year period um, from the latter part of last decade through the middle part of this decade where our, our revenues and our resources really did increase pretty dramatically because mainly because of new TV contracts. But mm-hmm. college football playoff coming online helped with that as well. The SEC network and those resources have kind of fully matured. And in some ways they plateaued and they're still providing great revenue for us, but it's not necessarily incremental new revenue coming in. Uh, but the challenge there is expenses continue to grow. And so we're having to be really efficient. This is not a University of Florida situation. This is something that I talk to colleagues from across the country that a lot of schools are having to figure out right now. And so mm-hmm. uh, while the budget did go up, it didn't go up to the degree that maybe it's gone up in, in years past. And so we're having to be uh, more efficient and and be really smart about um, how we allocate our resources to make sure our student athletes have the best chance to to be successful and to you know obviously make sure that uh, our fans continue to have first class experience. Yeah, we always like to get your take on uh, on buzzy issues going on. And last time when you were on in January, I tried to get as many of the college football playoff committee secrets out of you as I possibly could. So I doubt that's changed. <laughs> what I want to get your thoughts on transfers, specifically in college football. This has become uh, you know, an issue that lots of people talk about on social media and a lot of the pundits talk about it as well. And it's obviously affected the Gators this spring. So a lot of the social media conversation has been about that as well. I'm curious for your thoughts on the system as it is. And should it be tweaked? If so, how would you tweak it? Well, it's important to kind of understand how the transfer portal and the current environment came to be. And it, it seemed to me it, we're, we're in the current environment because the, the transfer rules were prohibitive enough to student athletes. Uh, and, and case in point is there would be, you know, a kid who wanted to transfer and a, the school he was at could control which where he could transfer to without having to sit out or, or being able to actually be on scholarship, which was not ideal and it was not mm-hmm. right. And so, We've now kind of gotten this new, uh, I don't want to say it's an overcorrection, but the pendulum has kind of swung to now student athletes, if they want to look around, can put themselves in this transfer portal. And, and now they're free to contact anybody and, and the school they're at can't uh, legislate, dictate where they may look, which is the right direction. Um, the challenge, as I see it, is you've taken away the opportunity for, for young people to kind of work through challenges uh, or homesickness or you know, the, the, you know, anytime you're in a new environment, when you move to a new town or you, you know, any of us who started college, um, there's an adjustment period. And sometimes that adjustment period is, is uncomfortable and it, and it causes you to, to face a little adversity and, and battle through it. And typically, if you give it six to 12 months, you know, you'll be glad you did and, and you'll end up, you know, getting on the other side of that. Sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes, you know, two or three years in, you want to transfer. Sometimes it's a playing issue situation. Um, there's a lot of reason why kids transfer. Typically, it's because uh, school's not doing a very good job creating a great experience for them or they want playing time. But sometimes it's, and I think we're seeing this now with the transfer portal, it's kids just leaving before they really give a, a place a chance. So if I were going to change one thing, I think I would, you know, maybe suggest that a kid can't be in the transfer portal until they've been 
enrolled for a year at their mm-hmm. initial institution. Um, you know, I have a, uh, as you know, when I moved here to, to Gainesville two and a half, three years ago, uh, I, I have teenage daughters and mm-hmm. candidly, you know, moving, moving someone in their high school years is a challenge. And if my, my family had a transfer portal after three or four months, I might <laughs> have to, one of my daughters might've been in it, but, um, yeah, they, they stuck it out and they, they love Gainesville, right. And they've had a great mm-hmm. experience here. It just took a little bit of time and, and took probably, you know, nine to 12 months. So that's, you know, anyone who's ever moved with kids and, and with teenagers understands that. And it just seems like maybe we should, in a fairness to both, because schools, when schools offer a scholarship to a young person, they're making a commitment. And sure. in this day and age uh, where you get multi-year scholarships, they're guaranteed scholarships. They're, they've made a four-year commitment. And, you know, you would like to see a little bit of that coming back both ways. It's, it's, and I'm not, I'm not painting kids as um, we, some of them handle it the right way. And, and the ones who go in early may have a perfectly good reason, but uh, that's just my initial perception. And that, that maybe we need to, um, at least give it a year or so. I, you know, a kid who's who's a grad transfer and and they want to go somewhere for playing time or they want to try something different. I I don't think anybody should be upset about that. And mm. um, that's just you know to me that's that's perfectly reasonable. I'm curious for your thoughts on this aspect of it because you do come from a PR background, and one of the things that this has created the transfer portal is this kind of knee-jerk reaction from social media, which says, okay, a few guys transfer, oh, the program is falling apart, what's happening? It creates almost a panic that's not even necessarily real, it's just artificially pumped up through social media. From a PR standpoint, how difficult is that, do you think, to manage those kinds of things when one transfer out of your program can lead to this you know, onslaught of negative attention, even if it isn't really anything there? Yeah, I don't. I don't know that I have an answer for that. Um, especially uh, because uh, kids are motivated if they want to be immediately eligible in another school to paint a not so positive picture of the school they're leaving, sure. whether it's accurate or not. And and the school because it's it's not worth the the fight. You know, doesn't really put up a fight. They just kind of you know whatever. Mm. Um, kid don't want to be here. Well, you know, we're not going to contest it. So it's really an unfortunate part of all this, uh, which makes you think that maybe anyone who transfers has to sit out a year. There's no waiver one way or the other. Maybe we need to look at that mm-hmm. um, because it, it does seem uncomfortable. And it's, hey, the fact of the matter is, think about how many kids that get recruited these days have been to two or three different high schools, whereas that used to never happen. We just live in a society where if a kid faces a, a little struggle, it's not unusual that they want to change and, and not stick it out. And uh, again, that's not just in college athletics, that's societal. And, um, and so we, I don't know if there's anything from PR standpoint you can do about that other than continue to do the best we can to create a great experience. And if somebody thinks they have an opportunity somewhere else, if they've got people in their life telling them they need to go somewhere else because coach not playing them and they, they need, you know, whatever, and they decide to, to follow through on that, uh, it doesn't mean your program falling apart. It kind of reflection of the society we have today. We've talked about a lot of different subjects. I'm curious, just from, from your perspective, uh, Anything else big or small initiatives you're working on that you can share with us? And if you want to break some news here, that'd be great. Uh, but I, <laughs> I, I don't know if there is any, but just in general, anything we haven't touched on that, that is uh, impactful to Gator Nation? You know, uh, obviously, as we look forward to uh, wrapping up another year, it looks like the Gators are going to finish in the top five in the All-Sport Directors Cup standing for the 11th straight year, um, and which is a great accomplishment for our 
student athletes and our coaches and our staff. Um, so obviously it's been another successful year. So we look forward to the fall though. We have a really special opportunity to kick off the 150th year of college football a week earlier than everybody else when the Gators play Miami down Orlando. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a, a great scene. And the eyes of the entire college football world are going to be on, on Florida and Miami on August 24th. I, I think that's really unique and special. And, and uh, we're excited to have that opportunity. And it's going to be a great way to kick off uh, the new uh, athletic and academic year. You know I can't let you leave without giving us your latest pop culture picks. It is summer. <laughs> it's summer movie season. I know for you it's a chance to catch up on a lot of things and take some vacation time and you know take your family out. So give us the uh, the lay of the land as you see it on summer. Well, I uh, I just completed, and I'll need to ask you, Adam, have you seen the Chernobyl series? I have not, but I've been told by most people I know that I need to. It is really fascinating and and uh, because you are in this medium of podcast there's a podcast for every episode there's there's five episodes in Mm -hmm. this tv series and after every episode there's a podcast that is about 45 minutes long with the uh uh, the 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 guy who developed the series oh wow talking about the scenes and the you know what's real what was they took some literary license on right uh what they based it on um, really fascinating. And, huh. you know, I grew up as, as a child of the eighties and I remember hearing about Chernobyl and there was a nuclear accident. Um, but there wasn't a lot of free flowing information coming out of the Soviet union in 1986. <laughs> no, and, there wasn't, there wasn't and, uh, Twitter either. <laughs> no. And so the severity of that accident and what it was and, uh, how little people who lived in a town that was built around a nuclear power plant, how little they understood about radiation, which is just fascinating. Yeah. Um, huh. And then the, the attempt by the Soviet state to de-emphasize that significance and in a way that probably put more lives in danger. It's really fascinating. And, hmm. and uh, there's great acting and it's, um, I would recommend anybody who, who likes uh, history and especially somewhat recent history uh, to check out Chernobyl. I will definitely do that. Thank you for the recommendation as always. You're always like, you're always one step ahead, I feel like, of where uh, where the rest of pop culture is. We got to stay on your level. <laughs> I don't know about, I don't have time for much of it, but that was, uh, so I try to use my time wisely, but I, that, that's a really good one. You got any movie suggestions for me, Adam? Well, I've seen most movies. See, we have, uh, we have the AMC plan up here. There's no AMCs in Gainesville in Atlanta. There's AMCs all around, so we can see three movies a week for $20 a month. Um, oh, wow. And they're not paying to advertise on the show, so I'm not sure why I'm mentioning that, but it just goes to show <laughs> why I see you know, Secret Life of Pets, why I saw that, not because I was paying for it individually. Um, let's see, a lot, of, a lot of average movies so far this summer, Men in Black, X-Men, Average. I assume you've seen Avengers Endgame. I have seen Avengers. Okay, good. Thought it was good. Thought you, it was solid. You and the rest of the world, so you've seen that. The one I'm really excited about is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is the new Quentin Tarantino with Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio about uh, what was going on in Hollywood at the time of the Charles Manson murders. Oh. Could get very grim based on the subject, but it looks really, really interesting and got a lot of buzz coming out of the Cannes Film Festival. So that's put that on your calendar for the end of July. So what about this movie? I believe it's called Yesterday. Yeah, that about- also. Yeah, yeah. The, the Beatles. That looks interesting, too. 
Yeah, um, it's a great it's a great premise. Yeah, it's it seems very, to be anyway. Very high concept. So hopefully July will give us uh, better movies than June. June has been full of some clunkers, but uh, hope springs eternal for July. <laughs> there we go. Well, I'll, I'll check some out then. Awesome. Well, Scott, thank you so much again. We, we love covering all of this varied ground with you, and we, we really appreciate your time, and we hope you have a great summer. You too, Adam. Go Gators. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Join us next week as we conclude our fourth season with an exclusive interview with Dan Mullen that you don't want to miss. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Thanks for tuning in to Gator Tales.